How many of you here tonight are as happy as you would like to be? Do we have anybody that's as happy as you would like to be? How many are here tonight that are as happy as they think they can be? All right, we got some that is happy as they can be and happy as they want to be. All right. Happiness is probably the one commodity that everyone is interested in. If there was some way you could package it or bottle it or sell it across the counter, I feel you would have lines of people every day taking what you offer. Everyone wants to be happy. One of the questions on a questionnaire is, if I can get it halfway right now, true or false, do you believe as you look at the faces of the worshipers in this congregation that the people here are happy, satisfied, and loving, and friendly, and glad to be here? And you know, most of the people in the questionnaire have said false. They do not see in the faces of the people the happiness that they would like to find, that they feel should be there. I believe God's people should be a happy people. That's not saying that we don't have problems and we don't have our props knocked out from under us and we don't get discouraged, but by and far and large, I feel like God's people ought to be a happy people. Not so much happy-go-lucky, we are a concerned people, but we should be a happy people. We should radiate in some way that the Christ life is very fulfilling and very exciting. I'm not saying we do this always, but I'm saying that's the way it's supposed to be. If this is the way it is, then we'll attract a lot more people to Jesus Christ. Because I believe the world is looking for happiness. And I believe the psychiatrist would confirm this. I believe the medical doctors would confirm this. I believe the man on the street would confirm this. All of us tonight would like to know, why can't I be joyful? Now, if you're as happy as you want to be, you'll just have to sit here and endure it, I guess, and I hope you keep your happiness, you see. This will be a test for you. But I want to admit that I am not as happy as I'd like to be and not as happy as I feel I can be. Now, I don't know if I am real qualified to speak on the side of how do you gain joy, but I can sure speak on the other side, and I feel like I'm as good an authority on the side of depression as anybody could be. Uh, you've all, in a sense, at times told me, Brunson, don't be so pessimistic. Now, that means that I'm probably the worst in the church when it comes to this matter of being unhappy. Things trip me up and get me down for longer periods of time than normally would get down the average person. Things that bug me for a week won't bug Mary Lou for five minutes. Now, I'm that kind of person. I do not really understand why, but I'm examining how does a person like me learn to be joyful. I've often felt there are two me's. There is a me that I see all the time that's not very happy, and then there's a me that every once in a while gets outside and begins to rejoice and be really happy, and I find probably the one that gets out is of the Lord, which I am encouraged by that there's something within me that if I can get out would be a very wonderful way to live. So that's really what I'm majoring on in this series. How 
can I be joyful or why can't I be more joyful? We're going to look at it from the attitude of a Christian, not so much from a man who does not know the Lord. We're going to look at it from the joy that Christ can bring into a man's life and truly change his personality. When I first started out in the ministry, I always said, you do this. If you don't do that, that's sin. But I've learned a lot since then. I guess I've matured. And I really can seriously believe that your personality was going to have a tremendous bearing on your obedience to the Lord. I didn't used to believe that. I just said, the Lord says, do it, and you do it. But this matter of, of fear not and worry and being depressed, there's a lot more of your personality involved in that than you might realize. And until God can change your personality, he'll not really change us much in the way of our disposition and our attitudes and our temperament. We'll not really show the graces of Jesus Christ, the love and the patience and so forth, until somehow God masters our personality. And the last thing God will ever master will be your personality. It's easy for me to give God money. That's no problem with me. But for God to change my personality, that's hard because it's very complicated. And that's what we're dealing with with this question of why can't I be joyful? There's no quick, simple answer that I can give you. But there are answers. I think everyone at times gets depressed. You may not stay that way, but at times every Christian gets depressed. Even Jesus wept. Even Jesus was at times depressed by what he saw. He was able to have, I feel like, quick recovery, whereas many people never recover. But all of us experience depression. Almost from the moment of birth, I feel like we begin to cry out, I want to be happy. That to me is what the baby is saying. If it's crying, I'm not happy, and I want to be happy, and there seems to be a problem I'm not happy, and won't somebody solve it for me? But I'm not happy. We come to the Bible, and the first time we have this cinnamon expressed, I'm not happy, is in Genesis 4, 6. Now, I feel like Adam and Eve had depression, but we're not told about it. But they had a son, his name was Cain, and we are told that Cain had depression. And that seemingly was one of his big problems, and Cain could not handle it. And he got so out of control, he got so frustrated, that he even killed his brother. I don't know whether all murder is a result of folks being unhappy. I would almost be willing to say, yes, it is. If you weren't unhappy, you wouldn't kill anybody. But look at Cain now, Genesis 4, 6. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is thy countenance fallen? That is, why is your face so downcast? Why do you have on your face an appearance of great depression? What's wrong with you, Cain? Cain undoubtedly was not like his brother Abel in this one aspect. Somehow, Cain could not handle depression and sadness and worry and problems. Now, as Christian psychiatrist, I was reading a book, made the comment, he thought this was strange, that a, a renowned psychiatrist who was not a Christian sent his daughter to the Christian psychiatrist because he felt she needed some help. He was not a Christian, and he said because she is a Christian, she has double trouble with problems and worry. 
And I can't handle her problems, and I'm going to send her to you, and you will better be able to help her than I can because she's a Christian. He implied that Christians who become depressed are harder to deal with and harder to help than those who are not Christians. Now, you can argue with his opinion or not. I don't really have an opinion about that. I don't know that much about people who are Christians and non-Christians to compare where the one is easier to help than another. But I want to give you the reasoning behind this man's view. It's interesting, and there's some truth in this. I want you to let the Scriptures draw a picture, if you will, of what a Christian ought to be. Not what a Christian ought to be, but what a Christian is proclaimed to be. I'm going to draw you a picture of a Christian. Now, if you don't fit that picture, you've got problems. And that's what the psychiatrists are saying. I want to draw you a picture from the Bible of a man of God. Let's look, if you will, and we've got a number of verses, and we'll go through them together. Let's begin with Psalms 5, I mean, Matthew 5, 6. Now, the word blessed here, these are the Beatitudes, and I'm just picking out one of them. The word blessed really means happy. Happy, now let's look at the sixth one. Happy are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. And tonight, if you tell me I want to be holy, I have a great hunger in my heart to be like Jesus, to walk in his path, to say things and do things that he would do. I long to be righteous, and I thirst for this. Let me ask you now, are you happy? Are you happy? Look at Psalms 144. Psalms 144. The second part of verse 15. Happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Tonight, do you say that God is your Lord? Sure I do. Are you happy? It doesn't make any definition. It just says happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Do you qualify? Look at Psalms 98, the first part of the verse. Psalms 98, verse 4. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Do you, when you come into God's presence, make a joyful noise to the Lord? Look at Psalms 68, 3. I'll keep you in Psalms because it sort of helps you find the verses. 68, 3. Let the righteous be glad and let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. Do you rejoice in the Lord? Do you rejoice before the Lord? Look, if you will, at Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16, verse 20, the second part. Whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. You trust in the Lord? Sure I do. Are you happy? Look, if you will, at Proverbs 29, 18, the first part of the verse, or the second part. The man that keeps the law of God, happy is he. Tonight you are, I feel like, keeping the law of God, the law of discipleship anyway. You're here, but are you happy? Well, well I mentioned that. that. That question used to bug me. I won't get off the subject in a second. People used to say, well, I believe you can be a Christian and not go to church. I never had an answer for that. You know, that really bothered me. But I finally got me one. You know, I'm going to give back to it. That's true. I agree with you. But you can't be a disciple. You can be a convert, but you can't be a follower and not go to church. One of the questions we had on the survey was, do you think if Jesus came to earth, he'd go to church every Sunday? Almost everybody said true. He would. I agree with that. 
It was his habit when he was on earth to go to the synagogue every Sabbath day. You know, I don't think you'd break that habit when he came to earth today. I agree with that. And you couldn't follow Jesus and be a disciple and not go to church. Now, I'm not saying you can't be a convert and you can't be a believer, but you couldn't be a disciple and you couldn't be a follower. Now, I'm going to remember that if I can, and next time that comes up, I'm going to toss it out for what it's worth. All right, man. Isaiah 51 11. I won't charge you an extra for that little tidbit there. Isaiah 51 11. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord. There's a song we sing, of course. Therefore the redeemed, are you the redeemed? Of course y'all. Shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their head, and they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. Now I know that's talking about the millennium. I know that. But that verse pretty well, I feel the Bible would say, depicts the kind of people God would call his people. Now let's go to the New Testament. John 15, 11. Jesus said, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you. And secondly, that your joy might be full. Now, he tells us two things there. He says, I have a joy the world doesn't have, and I'm going to put my joy in you. A lot of folks will say, well, where on earth is it? Well, it's there. You know, I believe that. And secondly, he said, I want you to have a joy the world can't have, which he says is a full, total joy. Well, now, you know, I believe Christ lives in us. Would you classify yourself then as a person that Jesus is talking about? Do you have full joy? Look at you read at Galatians 5.22. Very short verse, but to the point. Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. The fruit of the Spirit is is joy. Now the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Are, you. are you bearing that fruit? Now when I talk about more fruit on the vine in 79, now there's some fruit. How about joy? Ah, if I can put joy on the vine this year, it'll be a miracle. But I'm going to work on it. And the Lord's going to work on it. Because you see, the Lord says, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. If you will, Philippians 4.4. 4. Another short verse to the point. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. How much rejoicing do you do when you get up in the morning? How much rejoicing do you do? Are you glad to see another day? From all these verses that we have read together, what would you say the Bible says a Christian should be? You're going to have to say he ought to be happy. I mean, that's the picture God paints of his people. He ought to be a person that rejoices. He ought to be a person that has contentment, satisfaction, and delight in his life. It comes out in the form of happiness. Well, now, how many of you qualify under that as a Christian? What about a person like the one that wrote Psalm 77 2? I can identify this fellow. Psalm 77 2. We can begin with verse 1. I cried unto God with my voice. He listened to me. Then notice what he says. In the day of my trouble, he got him down. He got him down. And I sought the Lord, and my sword ran in the nighttime, and it ceased not. And notice this verse. My soul refused to be comforted. Now that's saying, but that's true. Then he goes on throughout the rest of the chapter trying to, to pump up his faith, trying to encourage himself to to go on. But yet we find, he says, 
My soul refused to be comforted. There are some people who get so upset and so depressed and so unhappy that almost anything you say to them won't do any good. They just can't seem to comprehend what you're saying and their mind cannot cope with their problems and they are unable to come out of their doldrums and a lot of Christians get angry at them and they'll say to them, well, you don't have any faith, brother or sister. You don't have any faith. And then somebody comes along and says, well, if you have worry, that's a sin. I mean, you're a sinner. And if you got fear, that's sin. You're shy, that's sin. You don't have boldness in the Lord. And if you like faith, that's sin. I'll have to agree with that diagnosis. That's probably true. But let me say this, folks. You're not going to help them that way. If that's what you tell them, I used to do that now. And I've had people tell me that. And I just get lower when you tell me that. You know? You see, you're painting in a hopeless situation. And that's what that psychiatrist is telling his friend. Friend, I can't handle my daughter. And I know you can because she's got some things and some thoughts that I don't have to deal with in the ordinary person. She's got a faith, but she's got an image of what a Christian ought to be. And her image of herself is weak. And now her image of what she is as a Christian has been destroyed. She's a two-time loser. She's a loser as a human being and she's a loser as a convert of Christ. And she's in double trouble. She's defeated as a person, and she's defeated as a Christian. And I can't cope with both of them. Folks, there's a lot of truth in that. Because the Christian sees what he ought to be, and he knows it's not God's will for him to be in that state, and yet he can't get out. And then his self-image is that much worse than it ever was. Because you see, a lot of times people come to Christ who are depressed, thinking Christ is the answer because, brethren, you and I tell them it is. But when they get involved with Christ, somehow they don't manage to put two and two together and they don't come out with the joy of Christ in their life. And then they begin to say, what's wrong with me? I'm a misfit as a person and now I'm misfit as a Christian. I mean, I see all these Christians over here rejoicing in the Lord and then they come and scold me because I can't do it. What's wrong with me as a person? What's wrong with me as a Christian? Then they come and bombard them while you're just living in sin. You ought to quit worrying. Brother, don't you think they'd quit if they could? Come on now. Be a little sensitive to people. Don't you think people quit being unhappy if they could? Most of them would. Most people don't want to stay depressed in their life. They want a way out. Why do you think we sell millions of tranquilizers every hour of the day? Sometimes Christians can be so cruel and so hard upon each other and that's not right but a Christian really you see has an image to live up to and that image in itself can create guilt if he can't do it a Christian wants if anything to pull off three things he wants to be holy I don't even believe a Christian wants to be holy number two he wants to be loving and number three he wants to be happy those three basic desires is in the Christian's heart and when a man's not holy, it really bothers him. It depresses him. It discourages him. And when you don't love folks, that bothers you. If you can't be happy, you feel like, well, what on earth am I being a Christian for? If you die and went to heaven, all you possibly saw. But if you've got to live on earth, now it's got problems. How am I going to deal with these three things? And we're de- dealing tonight basically with how can I be happy? Or how can I be joyful? 
But I want to say tonight, folks, I'll agree with you, sin's probably involved. But it's much deeper than that. And there's a reason tonight you're not happy. Much deeper than just saying you're guilty of no faith, of no trust in the Lord. That's part of it. I can't deny that. But that's not all of it. Abraham Lincoln said most people are about as happy as they choose to be. I thought about that. I didn't know Abraham Lincoln at one time thought about committing suicide. He was so depressed. I didn't know that. And he said this afterwards. Most people are about as happy as they choose to be. I don't know whether I can agree with it. I haven't thought that much on it. But I know there's some element of truth in what's being said here. I was reading the, or heard, heard the other day on radio that some doctor or physicist or somebody was working with these uh, gene links. You know, I, I don't want to stand on something either. But anyway, he said he had isolated out a gene that inherited depression. That is, you got this gene and it would cause depression in your life. Which means depression is is inherited like blue eyes and yellow hair. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not. But I do believe that happiness is primarily a choice. I, I really believe that it's a choice, especially for the Christian. I can't do much about my genes. That's already said. But I believe that God living in me does give me a choice that I can have joy. I believe that's what Christ said when he said, I'll live in you. The Holy Spirit says, I give you fruit of joy. When there is full joy, I believe Christ living in me and living in you gives you a choice. Now, I'm not saying I can give that choice to the world. I can't without Christ. I think you and I have a real choice that we have to make. You can choose to be unhappy. You can choose to remain unhappy. Or you can choose to become happy. Now, I hope that your choice and I feel like common sense dictates this, will always be, well, brother, I choose to be happy. No matter how set you are in your ways, no matter how programmed your personality is already set, no matter how ingrained your mental attitude, no matter how set your behavioral patterns, I believe change is possible. That's what I talked about this morning. I believe change is possible. And I want you to be convinced as we go through these coming weeks now and how you do this, I want you to be convinced that you can change. And if you can see me change, folks, I know there's hope for you. Yeah, you know, I know there's hope for you. I'm the impossible case. You're just minor stuff. I'm the emergency. You know, <laughs> you're, you're nothing compared to me, man. You're already five steps up on the ladder ahead of me. Now, uh, I'm going to tell you how God can change and make you happy. How he can make me happy. God's been teaching me some things and God's been showing me some things and I've been reading some things and I am beginning to realize it's the right kind of thinking. And when Jesus said you need to have the mind of Christ, there's a lot of truth in this, especially when it comes to being happy. You have to have the mind of Christ. And Christ can set us free from depression. Maybe not periodic and momentary depression, for he had that. But from a life of continual day in and day out sorrow and sadness and worry and misery, he can set us free from that. So I want to close by saying, first of all, I hope you will choose with me happiness for your way of life. Happiness like you've never known. And I want to say this. If, if we get happy in the Lord, we'll become a very friendly congregation. I believe that. Happiness is contagious, and it just wants to smile over everybody. It's just, just that way. 
I really believe that. A man that's happy would like to, to flood everybody else with his happiness. Now, I don't mean going around going whoop, 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 everybody. No, I don't mean that. But you, you want, you're just sort of excited with your happiness and you want to share it with other people. Best remedy to shyness is happiness. Just can't keep it in. Now, I hope that we'll begin to see this transforming in our congregation. First of all, choose happiness. Do you really want it? And second of all, we need to find the right path to obtain it. And that's what I'm going to be preaching on one by one in the weeks to come. What is the path for me to follow that I might obtain the happiness that I have chosen? How can I become the Christian the Bible says I ought to be in the area of joy?